Hi! Hey, welcome to The Cordial Catholic, a podcast for non-Catholics, new Catholics, those looking to dig deeper into the Catholic faith. I'm Kay Albert Little, an evangelical convert to Catholicism, and this podcast is born out of one particular idea. See, it began for me when a Protestant pastor asked me the question, what's more important, the Bible or tradition? That led me into a deep dive into church history, the history of the canon, the formation of the Bible, the, the early church, and why some churches worshipped one way and other churches worshipped a totally different way, and where I fit into all of that. Well, along the way on that journey, I read some Catholic theologians and some Catholic church history, and I realized that what I thought Catholics believed, what I thought I knew about the Catholic church, was based in large part on misinformation, and more often than not, on simple misunderstandings. Well, this podcast serves to fill in that same gap. The gap between what you think Catholics believe and what we actually do. Each week I have a real Catholic conversation with a real Catholic thinker from the heart of the Catholic Church. No misinformation here. And this week I am joined by my good friend Keith Nestor, an incredible Catholic convert, a pastor for over 20 years who became Catholic, to talk about what you do as a convert in your first year in the Church. It's a great conversation about how you deal with finding a parish and and telling your friends and family and and practicing things like the, the rosary and those kind of different devotions that we do as Catholics and how to navigate all that kind of stuff. Keith has a great book all about this, and we unpack that on this episode today. It's kind of what you do in your first year as a Catholic, and it's a great conversation. This conversation and all other ones on this show every single week are brought to you by my patrons at patreon.com slash cordialcatholic. This is the team that makes this thing go every single week. You guys know this this is true. This is not my full-time job, and in order to dedicate resources and, and time and energy to doing this thing, your support is infinitely helpful in making that possible. And my newest patron this week is Esteban. Thank you, Esteban, for your support of the show. It means so much to me and, and this whole thing. So thank you. If you want to support the show, head over to patreon.com slash cordialcatholic or one-time donations at paypal.me slash cordialcatholic. Those go a long way as well. We're on YouTube at youtube.com slash thecordialcatholic to watch this show. And please do leave a rating or review and follow and subscribe wherever you can. That helps to push the podcast out to new people too. And now without any further ado, my conversation with my good friend Keith Nestor on your first year in the church as a Catholic convert. Strap yourselves in, please listen and enjoy. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. Thanks for being here. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, if you are watching this on YouTube, we're also on podcast. Uh, ever you find find podcasts, look for the Cordial Catholic. If you're listening to us only, we're also on YouTube at youtube.com slash the Cordial Catholic. We're going to have a fantastic discussion this week. If we don't get in trouble by the end of this thing and get some crazy feedback, we've done something wrong because this is going to be an absolute r- ridiculous show. 
but a lot of fun, I think, and, and informative. I'm joined by my very good friend, Keith Nestor. Keith is a convert to the Catholic faith. He spent over 20 years in Protestant ministry. He has a fantastic YouTube channel and podcast. If you haven't heard of him yet, I don't know where you've been. And a great book called The Convert's Guide to Roman Catholicism, Your First Year in the Church. We're going to talk about that this week. It's fantastic. Keith, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here, and hello. Hey, brother. It's good to see you. I, I love the dueling Catholic convert Keiths. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. You know, yeah. we're, we're, we'll see what happens. Yeah. It's always good to be with you, and I'm I'm excited to see. <laughs> just every time I turn on some kind of podcasting thing, it's like The Cordial Catholic is the number one podcast in Southern Greenland or something like that. <laughs> just, and, the, just the stuff part, yeah. And uh, no, it's awesome. I, you're doing awesome stuff, man. I'm really super uh, proud of you. Thanks. Hey, this is. A, I, I'm happy to have you on the show too. And I wonder what happens when we get two Catholic Keith converts in the same stream. I think something's going to happen in the space time continuum. I hope so. here while we're here. Yeah, a, a good thing. I think. Yeah, maybe it's like the signal of the end times. Maybe it's going to trigger like the. Uh, oh the, man, the, the that be something? Yeah, that'd be interesting. It'll that be, would be crazy. Yeah. Well, we'll see what happens. This is going to be a fun discussion because I've had you in the show a few times. I've had you on, gosh, I mean, I've told the story before about how I first encountered you. You came, you came up for me in a YouTube algorithm, right? In the, oh, yeah. Your conversion story. And it was amazing. And I thought, gosh, this guy is incredible. I got to get him in the show. And I had you, I, we, we talked like hundreds of episodes ago, I think, at this point, uh, your conversion story, which I want to go over a little bit here again today. Sure. And then I had you back on the show with your good friend, Devin Shad, who was part of your conversion story. And that, I think, Keith, is still our number one best episode uh, wow. of the podcast. I think because Scott Hahn shared it and everybody hopped on board. <laughs> hey, we're grateful for yeah. whatever happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whatever he shares, we're always grateful. And uh, but, but we haven't talked about the, the book you wrote, which I think is a fabulous entry point for so many people. And a great topic of conversation, and that is your your first year in the church as a convert. Because so many people, you know, you get these these emails and these uh, these these DMs and stuff from people, these comments, people who have joined the church, and it's kind of like, okay, well, what next? What do I do next now that I'm Catholic? And your book came along, comes along, and fills in that gap, but it's fabulous. So I want to dig in there, but I want to begin with a brief thumbnail sketch, if we can, of your conversion story, because it is a fantastic one. I've mentioned before, it's, you've been on the show for an hour talking about it way back when. So maybe yeah. the listeners who haven't heard that, this could be a this could be a great introduction. They can go back and listen to a longer version uh, there. And if they want to hear even more, the, the, the conversation that you and Devin had on this show with me was fabulous because it was your perspective and then his as this Catholic friend of yours. And it really, the way it intertwines is fabulous. But why don't you give us like a 10 minute little kind of thumbnail sketch of your journey into the church and then we'll start sure. to unpack what next because that's a great place to go from there. Okay. Well, it's been a, you know, it's been an incredible couple of years talking about this. So I, I'm trying to like get this thing to a smaller version, you know, where I can explain it to people in less than 45 minutes. Uh, but basically I was raised, um, as a preacher's kid in the United Methodist church. My dad is, is a retired pastor. So I grew up going to church. I grew up loving Jesus, had no exposure to Catholicism whatsoever, other than from people who were anti-Catholic who said things like, oh, the Catholic Church is the whore of Babylon. It's a cult. <laughs> it, it's just man-made traditions and worships the Virgin Mary and all this stuff. I, and I didn't really care to dig into that. That's just what I believed. 
um, because that's just what I was taught. And I didn't really have a desire to go any deeper with it. So I become a youth pastor. And um, when I was, I think about 20 years old, I had done some other stuff trying to like be in a band and do some um, um, things with music, but I ended up feeling the call of God to become uh, to go into ministry. And I got offered, offered a job in a Methodist church as a youth pastor, where I ultimately stayed 13 years in that church. And it was while I was there that I met my friend, Devin, that you talked about earlier, who was a graphic designer, who I had um, asked to help me come up with a logo for my youth ministry. And when I met Devin, I, this was the first person that I'd ever met that was Catholic and knew his faith. Now, like my wife, for example, I met her, um, when we were like 19 years old and I asked her, I said, Hey, are you a Christian? Do you go to church? And she said, well, she says, I don't really go to church, but I'm, I'm, I'm Catholic. And I said, Oh, well come, come with me to my church. It's really, really awesome. And I was going to like a Calvary chapel. And so we went and she loved it. She was like, wow, I've been going to Catholic school my whole life. And I've never heard anything like this before. I've never seen anything like this before. So, you know, she had that experience where she got, you know, saved or whatever, according to our belief at the time. And she's like, what do I do about the whole Catholic thing? I'm like, forget about that. You don't need that now. We got Jesus. You got the Bible. You don't need the Catholic church. So that was it. You know, we got married and she turned her, she turned her back on the, on the Catholic church and her parents kind of freaked out, but we were, we were on our way, you know, and now I was encountering this guy who was Catholic. And I remember when I first met him, I'm like, he's fired up about the Lord and he's Catholic. <clears throat> this is a disconnect for me. And I thought to myself, well, okay, two things can happen here. Either I can show him some Bible verses, get him, get him, you know, out of Catholicism and he can come and be, you know, volunteer in my youth ministry or whatever. I thought that was a possibility. Or I thought this guy's like completely crazy and he doesn't even really know the Lord. Well, after talking to him for just a few minutes, I could tell he knew the Lord. You know, he was able to, to have a conversation about salvation and about Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, all the stuff that we thought that Catholics didn't have any clue about, you know. And then he started to ask me questions. He started turning the tables on me and he was like, yeah, I'm, I have a personal relationship with Jesus. He's changed my life. I'm born again because I'm Catholic. And we started talking about baptism, the Eucharist scripture. I was not ready for that, my friend, you know, and, and it was a long course, but ultimately he exposed me to a lot of things, including Scott Hans conversion story back in the day, which blew my mind, you know, and that relationship you know, led to a lot of conversations. It led to a pilgrimage that I went on with him over to Rome and to Mejigoria and learning about things in the church and meeting more Catholic people that love their faith. And, and ultimately a point in my life where I felt like the Lord was calling me to become Catholic. And I chickened out. I was afraid to do it. You know, I had three little kids at home, a wife. I had a growing youth ministry. I thought, how can I become Catholic? You know, th this is ridiculous. I was really afraid of what it would mean to me in my life if I left my job and became Catholic. What am yeah. I supposed to do? I don't know how to do anything else in life, you know, other than be a youth pastor, whatever. So I was afraid, but I, I had felt this call to the Eucharist. And I, I, everything I had been reading about in the Catholic Church just made sense to me in this weird way but i was i was just too afraid you know and the way i talk about it now is i say you know i was afraid of what obedience to christ would cost me in that moment so i bailed on it you know it was a it was a bad decision and life for me got really dark after that over the course of a few years and 
you know, things got really rough for me in my ministry and in my life altogether. And I found myself kind of wondering, you know, what I was going to do. I took a break from ministry in the church for a while. I went to, to work with my family at a, at a boy's ranch where we lived with troubled teenage boys. And I just kind of was like, I was just burned out on the big church youth ministry and my, my own faith. I kind of went through a crisis in my own life. And, and anyway, um, I, I ended up going, going back into ministry after a couple of years sort of away from it. And this time my heart was in a much healthier place. And my denomination that I was serving was really starting to, and they're continuing to, by the way, it was the Methodist church, the United Methodist church deal with a lot of these issues about, um, you know, human sexuality and marriage and all these things. And I, I had pretty conservative views on these things because I was a Bible person, you know, at least I thought I was. And when people would kind of veer off of the, off, off of the, you know, Orthodox or whatever you want to call it path. And that, that really bothered me. And I remember having all these conversations and arguments with other people in my denomination about how can you do this? How can you walk away from what the Bible says? And they would say things like, well, that's just your interpretation of the Bible, Keith. What makes you so smart? So I'm like, okay, well, I guess I can't argue from scripture. So then I started thinking, well, this is what Christianity has always taught. This is what the church has always taught for 2000 years. And they would say, well, which church? And I'm like, well, all of them. And they would say, well, we're here to change that. You know, the church has been wrong and now it's time for it to get with the times. And that just seemed weird to me. And I started talking about authority and all of these things started churning back up all of these old ideas that I'd had about Catholicism. And I actually had a friend of mine say to me once, she was a pastor. She said, well, if you believe all this church authority nonsense, then why aren't you a Catholic? And it was like, whoa, okay. <laughs> well, parallel to this, okay. Parallel to this, I went to go see a movie with one of my Catholic friends called Aberration Hill. It's a, it's a movie about some people that go on a pilgrimage to Medjugorje, which I had done years before that. And I didn't really know what to make of all of the Mary stuff. You know, I was still struggling with all that. And I hadn't thought about that in a long time, but I went to go see this movie. And it's like, as I was sort of reliving some of these things, I remember on this trip watching Catholics worship Jesus through Mary and just being really like intrigued by that and inspired by it in a weird way. And it got me really thinking about the blessed, the blessed mother and the Virgin Mary. Well, I was getting ready to preach a sermon in my church about the, um, we were in Advent. So I was going to preach a sermon about the Annunciation. Of course, we didn't call it the Annunciation. That'd be too Catholic. We just called it, you know, Luke chapter one or whatever. <laughs> and this, uh, this uh, experience where Gabriel comes to the Virgin Mary and, I, you know, and I was going to talk about that. And as I'm in my office writing this sermon, Keith, I started to like well up with tears. And I started to have these emotional reactions to thinking about the Virgin Mary. And I'm like, where is this coming from? What, what, what's going on? But it, it was crazy. Well, I preached this sermon about how Mary's the new Eve. She's the new Ark of the Covenant. It's basically a Catholic sermon about the Blessed Mother. I didn't really realize all of that. But I was just, all these things were sort of coming together for me. I started going to daily mass. And that was blowing my mind. I started meeting with a priest. So I have all these things happening. Well, it all comes together, a culmination of one night I go to a, a, a talk to hear uh, Steve Ray's giving a talk. And me and a couple of my buddies went to go hear him. And before he went to the talk, they had mass. And I went in and I was really just struggling, you know, because I really was feeling like I had to do something differently. I knew I was being pulled into the Catholic faith, but I was once again scared of what it would mean. And I went up to receive my little blessing because, you know, he, when you're not a Catholic, you can't receive the Eucharist. Um, 
which is a newsflash for some people out there in the world right now. But I go up there, I got my blessing. I kneel down and I'm praying to the Lord. And I'm just like, I look up at the crucifix. I'm like, hey, Jesus, if you want me to become Catholic, I will do it. But you've got to make a way because I can still wrap my mind around. Do I quit my job? Do you know, what do I do? 22 years in ministry professionally. And I'm like, I need, there needs to be a way, Lord. And, and, and the, Jesus spoke to me from the crucifix that night. It was great. People are receiving the Eucharist. I look up at Jesus. I'm praying this prayer. My heart is just being just gutted. And Jesus from the crucifix says to me, Keith, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You don't need me to make a way. You just need me. <laughs> and it was like in that moment, it all sort of came together where I realized that my problem was I was more afraid of what I would miss out on by, by being obedient to God than I was afraid of if I was disobedient to God. And that flipped for me that night, man. I, I suddenly like realized that I was headed for a lot worse off experience in life and beyond if I was disobedient to God. So I began, I was like, I can't miss out. Like, it's not about my job, my family, my career, all this stuff. It's about what if I miss out on what God has for me in the Catholic church? So I went home that night. I told my wife, I said, that's it. I'm quitting my job. We're becoming Catholic. Get ready. And she was like, what? <laughs> I mean, we had been talking about it a lot more of this. The, the first time I had this brush with Catholicism, I didn't really ever talk to her about it because I was too afraid it was going to scare yeah, her. Yeah. Well, you know, 10, 15 years later, we're a lot healthier in our marriage and, and I'm a lot healthier as a person. And I'm just like, look, here's what I'm feeling. Here's what I'm going through. And she said to me, Keith, I, I'm not really feeling called to the Catholic faith, but if you are, then that's what we're going to do because you're my husband and I trust you. And if God's leading you, then that's what we need to do. And she's got her own story about it. That is really amazing. Um, but that was it, man. The next day I went in and I told my, my senior pastor at, at the church I had been serving for six years, said, I, I need to become Catholic and I'm doing this. So my last Sunday, get this, my last Sunday was the day that we broke ground on our brand new $10 million facility that we'd been raising money for. for So I'd help design this thing. You know, I was in all the meetings and stuff like that. And so my last day, I put it, you know, they wouldn't let me hold a shovel, but because I was leaving, but I went from literally the newest church in town. The next Sunday, I joined the oldest church in town. Um, I didn't really join that week. It was a couple of months before yeah. I actually came into the church. But that was that's my story, man. And, and, and that was in 20, 2017. And, you know, it's been almost four years. And, oh, man, it's just been an incredible ride. <laughs> I love that. That's a fantastic story from the from the old, the newest church to the oldest church. <laughs> yeah, I, I I just came up. I just yeah. realized that you know maybe a couple months ago I was telling somebody about great. it. And like, it literally was the newest church, and yeah. and and literally the church I I joined was the first church ever built in our city. <laughs> I love that. I I had a friend once who was an Anglican priest who became a Catholic priest, and actually the whole the whole church actually moved became Catholic at once, and so wow. that so they sold that church to the Catholic diocese. And they put up a big banner on that church that said the newest, oldest church in, oh, I love that. in town because it, right, it became the newest Catholic church, but it was the oldest church in town. So That's a, so cool. Similar move. I love your story, uh, Keith. I should mention that uh, we do have your wife, lovely Estelle Nestor, uh, coming up on the show uh, hopefully yes. soon with Kimberly Hahn to talk about what to do when your spouse becomes Catholic because you and Scott have have you know, similar stories where you got to become Catholic and what do you do? <laughs> you kind of drop that bomb on your on your spouse a little bit. So that'll be a lot of fun talking to both of them. I, I can't <laughs> wait to hear that. <laughs> That's going to be awesome. Yeah.
<laughs> it'll be fun. You aren't invited, so it'll be good. I, I will be listening from the other room. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you become Catholic, and now here's yeah. the here's the thing that I want to unpack here because I went through a similar experience to you. Mine was on authority. I was wrestling. I was in. I was part of a church, not leading a church, but part of a church that was wrestling with similar issues to yours, and kind of went, "Well, how do we know what's right?" And that reason and others kind of drove me to look into the Catholic Church and the question of authority and that kind of stuff. And for me, when I decided I had to become Catholic, did a similar thing to you, but I went to the closest church to my to, to our our house. I just Googled Catholic Church and found the closest wow. one and and made a phone call. They had no I don't think they even had an email address, this church. Which should have been maybe a red flag, but I phoned them and met this lovely religious sister who told me all about the program and signed me up and I kind of I kind of began. But what happened to me, and I think happens to a lot of people, is you do RCIA, which is this like 10-month whatever process, when they tell you all about becoming Catholic, it really, it, it's, it's quite a rigorous process. We think of how you and I would have become become Christian or or how people in our churches would have become Christian before, we became, you know, in our, in our evangelical churches. You put your hand up and say, I want to become, you know, I want, I want to be saved. And you're saved, and there's sometimes follow-up, sometimes not. Becoming Catholic is rigorous. It's a process, right? Depending on the parish, it's, it's different. But you go through that process, you become Catholic, you are you baptized, confirmed, whatever, take your first Eucharist, and then you're in this parish that maybe suits you, maybe not. In my case, it was this really <laughs> sleepy parish. Now, I mean... I, God led me there for a reason to do RCAA in this parish, right? Yeah. I did it. I I I loved it, met some great people, I I learned a lot. But it was finished and my wife who wasn't Catholic at the time kind of said like, "Okay, let's go to mass this parish together. Let's we've been doing it for a little bit and it was not a lot going on, right? There were not a lot of young families. There were not a lot of things opportunities to plug into the church. I remember when I asked the, the coming from an evangelical background, right? There's things happening in the churches. And I remember I asked this, this sister what I could do to be part of this church, to plug in, to help out, to volunteer. Cause I was used to doing these things, running Bible studies or helping on the worship team or making videos. And I remember she brings me this kind of pamphlet that's very dusty from like the back room somewhere, the stack of like Xeroxed like pamphlets. And it was, Really, really funny things. There's the Catholic Women's League or the Adult Baby Minders or the Tea and Coffee like donation group or something. It was nothing that, that suited a young family. And I thought, what do we do? Do we do we do the Protestant thing and go shop around for a Catholic church that fits us? Mm. It was a strange situation. And I know you like you know what it's like to be in that kind of church shopping mentality because you people would come through your church doing that. I, I went oh, through yeah. all kinds of churches. Evangelical listeners to this program, viewers would know what it's like to, how you find a church as an evangelical. Can you unpack for us this idea of, okay, you become Catholic. What do you do if the parish you've landed in doesn't fit? It's a great question. I actually did a podcast episode on this. It was called church shopping for Catholics. And, um, not very many people watched it, but I thought it was really good. Um, <laughs> I think, and the reason why is because I think that's a foreign concept to people. People inherently look at that and go, oh, that's bad, you know, because it sounds like consumeristic yeah. and it sounds selfish. And I actually had people that said to me, Keith, we don't do that as Catholics. We are assigned our parish 
And that's what you go to. And if, if you don't like it too bad. And I remember thinking, Whoa, um, that's not my experience, you know? And, and I, I, I can relate to that a hundred percent because a lot of people that are coming over from, from Protestant churches have come from the world where they chose their church based on a lot of different factors that had nothing to do with theology. They had to do with the culture of the church. They had to do with the social situations that they were in. They had to do with, if they liked the music if they liked the preacher, if there were kids about their kids' ages, kids' programs, all of these these things that are not really core values of Catholic churches from the standpoint of like, you know, we don't have in Catholic churches all of this programmatic focus. We have we have programs, but they're sort of like, I don't know, they're not they're not as as emphasized. And I know that every parish is, is different and there are some, there are probably some, Oh yeah, our church has that. I'm talking about just generally speaking, you know, you go to the, the, the local Catholic church and there may be a few things here and there, but the way that you choose a Catholic church is, is a little bit different than, than, uh, than when you were a Protestant. And I don't know that there were people in Protestant worlds that were like shopping for churches based on liturgy, Yeah, you know, <laughs> Or shopping for churches based on, uh, well, I guess it's the same thing, you know. Well, does the, what la- what language is this in, or whatever that kind of thing, or which way does the pastor face when he preaches? <laughs> I mean, there are Catholic people who 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 look to those things, you know, and it's just a different world. So, if you're a convert to the faith, my experience is that it's not just like. I went to this church one day and that church one day. It's like, you've changed universes. Yeah. And that can be a little bit jarring to people depending on where they came from. And it can be a little intimidating, especially if you've gone through a, like a 10 month RCIA thing or whatever, you know, you're, you're plugged into the church a little bit. You've got this, this automatic group that you're with, but once it's done, you're just kind of dropped off and like, go, figure it out, be Catholic now and know what everything means and know what you're supposed to do and understand which groups you are to belong to and, and all of that. And it can, it can be a freaky thing. <laughs> yeah. I can remember really clearly. I mean, the, the interesting thing is I've had lots of converts on this show talking about the idea of finding a church. Like you, and you are outlined it very well. I think you, you don't as an evangelical, as a Protestant necessarily find a church based on, the theology, like you, you often look for a church that's biblical, right? But yeah. your, that's your interpretation of the Bible, right? What it ultimately means when you say biblical. But it's often these these things like, okay, the church is biblical. I like that. Now what, right? Now, okay, it's the yeah. music. It's the people. It's the atmosphere. It's these things that you like, who you know that goes there. You become Catholic and suddenly all the churches are celebrating the same kind of thing, the same kind of liturgy. Right. They're all Catholic, right? And so we, we have our territorial parish. Like we, are, we have a parish that we are, that's in our neighborhood that we would go to by default. And I, like you said, I was under the impression at one point that maybe I had to go to this church. That's why, you know, I called up this church because it was close. It was in my, my territory. But I thought after, after a while, I mean, the, the problem was that Right, it was, it was, it was. What do you say? Stale. It was old. We had a we had a priest who was there for a really long time. He was a great guy. He retired from that parish and passed away the following year. Like he was committed to that parish. Yeah. It kind of atrophied, 
and it it wasn't an experience of of the mass that I feel like we we could have brought our kids to and they would have got a whole lot out of. Nobody was very friendly there. It was kind of very. I don't know. I don't want to speak badly about it, but we we got to a point where it was like, well, do we do we move to a different parish that maybe is a bit more lively that that is intentionally plugging people into the mass that there's places for us to meet other young families? What would you say to a convert who? It, it's a different kind of church shopping, right? Because we're all still no. in the same Catholic church. But would you say it's okay for somebody to? if they've landed in a Catholic parish that's not really moving them along towards holiness, is it okay to go somewhere else? I think that's a really complicated question because (laughs) you're dealing with what is the, what is, so what is the ideal? Okay. And the ideal is that, that no, you wouldn't have to do that. The ideal would be whatever Catholic church you go to, you could go to the one that's in your neighborhood and it's going to have a reverent mass celebrated by a priest who loves the flock and faithfully administers his duties, a, a congregation of people who are joyful, devoted, and missional minded, who love Jesus and are um, friendly and welcoming, all of that. So yes, if that's, that's the ideal, okay? In that situation, then I say, you, it doesn't matter. Go to your local Catholic church. And if maybe if it's not whatever, then you help to make it better, Yeah. okay? But what we unfortunately experience oftentimes is that there are a lot of Catholic churches out there that those things that I listed, they don't check those boxes. So even the like the most the most like hardcore traditional person who says, no, you will go to that local church, whether you like it or not, buddy. A lot of those same folks would say, well, what if you go there and the mass isn't done reverently, you know? Well, then it's no, we're, we, we go find one that is, I mean, um, so I think you have to, you have to look at the ideal situation and say, it's not ideal that we would have to make those decisions to, to say, well, where can I grow better? You should be able to get all of that, no matter what Catholic church you go to. Sadly, that's not the case in those situations. I tell you what I can, and I can only speak for myself. Okay. I can tell you this, the church that, that we joined is awesome. I absolutely love it. And I've never, ever had a thought of, hmm, maybe I should go look for a different parish. And we've, we've been through a couple different priest changes too. And I'm st- I still feel that way. Now, I can tell you this, and it's just me personally. If, if I belonged to a parish that didn't celebrate the mass reverently or where I felt like, um, you know, our Lord wasn't adored properly or whatever, I, I would have no problem going down the street to, one that was. And if someone challenged me on that, I would basically say, well, then you guys need to do better. You know, you, you just need to do better. And I don't know. I don't know if that's right or wrong. Maybe I'm in some kind of, you know, <laughs> bad place for saying that. But I think that I think the church and people can argue about this all day long. The church is in a precarious place right now, my friends, because we we, we are in uh, we're having a little bit of an identity crisis. And some people don't under, don't know what to do with that. You've got some people that are like super hardcore traditional Latin mass, all of that, which is what I attend, by the way. And then you've got other people that are like, oh, no, we don't need all that old stuff. Let's do something new and cool. And there's a there's a, there's a church in my town that's really contemporary. And it almost like if you didn't know any better, you wouldn't know as a Catholic church until like partway through the mass because – They've got like sermon series. They've got a praise band. The church is like new and modern looking. And 
I mean, and and the people that go there, they love it. They're not sitting there going, oh, what are we doing? We've destroyed. The, they're, they're fired up, you know. And by the way, that's a very friendly church, by the way. I've been to it. And it's friendly. So is my traditional parish, though, too. So it, it's almost at this weird place where right now, because there's been so much variation, that it's hard to nail down what is exactly everybody's supposed to do. Yeah. Now, granted, we have the same liturgy. We have the same readings. But <clears throat> there's so many variations within parish life. And people can argue about whether that's good or bad. I, you know, I'm, And I'm not going to do it. What I will say is this. Whatever you do should be done with excellence and reverence. But because there are variations, I think it's imperative for us, you know, now, now you, here's where we may get in some trouble. I think it's imperative on us as the fathers, as the men, the spiritual heads of our households to make those decisions based on what's going to lead our family into holiness. Yeah. Okay. And if I'm bringing my wife and my kids to a Catholic parish where it's not done reverently, where the homilies are just about, you know, anything but the readings, where where the Eucharist is is handled irreverently and people are um, <clears throat> off in left field someplace and the theology is out of whack. I'm not bringing my family there, man. I, I'm, I'm not going to do it because I'm in charge of their souls to a certain degree. So if the church down, down the road from there does those things, that's more consistent with what I'm trying to do with my family. I'm going to do that. But it does feel weird as a Catholic to have even that thought because yeah. it's not supposed to be that way. Is it? Yeah, We're all supposed yeah. to be unified and the same. Now, what I, what I would say is this, you, you uh, unity is not uniformity, but there shouldn't be these giant chasms that exist between one parish to the next. That's my little soapbox. I mean, we got to we gotta think about that as 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 leaders of our families, you know, and, and and as custodians of I mean, the Bible says work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And we've got to take that seriously. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, it, the unfortunate thing that happens that I, I think and this is what I was what I was thinking of as you were talking there that, that I then forgot. But I've now remembered is I've gotten so many emails and I'm sure you have, too, from people who are fired up about the Catholic faith and then go and meet an actual priest or go to an actual mass and it's nothing like they imagined as described in videos or in, in books or, or on YouTube, yeah. right? Because they end up going to a, a parish that, like you say, is maybe a bit out in left field, is kind of trying new things, pushing the envelope, maybe a straight a little bit from just a really, an orthodox, straightforward liturgy that, that's reverent. And those are the those are the heartbreaking emails that I get, right? These people who who want to be Catholic or or became Catholic and then moved somewhere else in the country or something, and and all they can find is is these really unfortunate situations. I mean, it's it's tough, but like you say, I mean, you, you do it with excellence and reverence. You you look for where Christ is is upheld. The yeah, best. And, thank, and thank God for the liturgy because. Yeah. You know, here's the other thing, and this isn't just a Catholic problem. This is a, every denomination across the face of the earth, and I don't think Catholicism is a denomination. But what I when I say every denomination, I mean like like if there are Baptist people watching this, going, "Oh, I'm so glad we don't have that problem." You know, that person probably doesn't exist because no matter whether you're a Methodist, Presbyterian, Evangelical, Free, whatever you are, you're going to go to different parishes or different churches in your group, and there's going to be a variance of what's going on. I mean, I remember I, I belonged to uh, or I went to this, you know, um, Calvary Chapel in Philadelphia when I was when I was, you know, a long time ago when I was in Philly. And that's where, that was the church I like super fell in love with. And then I would travel and I would go, oh, there's a Calvary Chapel over here. And I'd go there and it would be nothing like the one I went to in Philly. 
the one I went to in Philly was awesome. I go to some of these, and I thought, wait a minute, I thought this was, I thought all Calvary's were the same. No, they're not. They might have the same guiding principles, but they're not the same. So, and that I think that's the same thing. I mean, and I was a Methodist. I mean, talk about variances and things that, that you will experience. <laughs> so I don't want to come across like this is only a Catholic thing. But I will say this. Even with those variances, we're all, we all have the same liturgy. We yeah. all have the same mass, you know, unless you go to the Latin mass. But, you know, so, so I would say the variances aren't as drastic as they are in the Protestant world. Thank God for that, because the church has dictated to us what we're doing for the most part, which, which I think is a good thing, obviously, but yeah, it, it can be a little bit of a, of a wake up call in a bad way. Sometimes when you've, when you've read all these amazing things about the Catholic faith and you, you've heard all these things and you, you've done what you need to do and, and many times made great sacrifices to join it. Yeah. And then you show up and it's like, hey, this wasn't what I read about. What's going on here? You know, that that's and I think that's a problem. You know, I don't know that it's a problem that I can solve. I mean, I'm sure it isn't, but somebody needs to work on that. And <laughs> I think the nice thing for us as, as a Catholic that we that you realize, I'm sure as well, is we can check these things against, say, the catechism or whatever. Yeah, right? So you meet so you meet somebody who tells you something about the Catholic faith. You are a new Catholic who meets somebody you you're looking at becoming Catholic and meet with a priest or meet with a religious um, sister or brother and they tell you something and it seems a little bit out of left field, you can check it against the catechism. Like we as Catholics have this resource we can fall back on that tells uh, everybody else and ourselves what we believe, right? Which is a great resource to to look into because we don't have to think, oh, is this is that person right? Are they wrong? We can we can check and find out right for the most part, which is pretty yeah, there's amazing. A lot less, there's a lot less rope in the Catholic Church that you know, like, I mean, and, you know, you know the saying: you give someone a long enough piece of rope, they'll hang themselves yeah, with yeah. it. You know, it's kind of like in the in the in the in other in other groups of Christians, you know, in different denominations, Protestant denominations, there tends to be, depending on where you are, a lot longer rope, you know, well, in the Catholic church, there's rope, but it's not that long ultimately, you know? And, and I think that's important to remind cradle Catholics when they do get bent out of shape, maybe I'm sounding like one right now, but when they do get bent out of shape about, Oh, this just perished. I don't even think it's, you know, this is Protestant, blah, blah, blah. Let me tell you something right now. You haven't spent a lot of time in Protestant churches. If, I mean, I, the most whacked out mass I've ever been to in my life, you know, or whatever, it's still way more Catholic than any Protestant church I've ever been to. So, um, you know, I, I and I, now granted, I never went to Anglican churches. I didn't do all that. I wasn't like super hardcore Lutheran or anything like that. I'm talking about like, you know, more, more like modern contemporary evangelical churches that, you know, there, there's a big difference between even a modern novus ordo mass celebrated that's you know with the guitar or whatever that's still way different than than a protestant church that has a praise band and a guy in a hawaiian shirt that's going to preach for an hour <laughs> and no sacraments yeah. you know that's no. th th there is difference there but we but we all have to recognize this and here's the thing you know you mentioned the catechism as being that sort of um that rock that we can that we can look to and say, okay, well, what does the church teach? I think that's super important for me. It's also been about the Eucharist. Yeah. And I've just been like, okay, if I've, if I happen to stumble into a, a Catholic parish when I'm traveling or whatever, that's less than less than what I think is ideal in terms of how things are going there. I can, I can honestly just go, 
you know what? It's not that big of a deal because I can go and I'm going to receive Jesus Christ. I'm going to hear the readings that the church has given me. You know, I'm going to hear those readings. If the pastor can't give a homily to save his life, that's, you know, it's not the end of the world. I'm going to hear the word of God and I'm going to receive Jesus Christ in the sacrifice of the mass. That will happen. So I can deal with a lot of other stuff. Now, that's safety for me, you know, and I think that that's that's why I still tell people to become Catholic. You know, I, I still feel like it's the truth and it's the it's the right church. And so, you know, someone told me a long time ago, oh, Keith, you're you're fired up now. You'll get over it. The honeymoon will wear off and you'll just become like the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong. You know, I'm more fired up today than I've ever been yeah. about my Catholic faith. And I've seen some stuff that's been hard, you know, but to me. Every single time I, I go to mass and receive Jesus in the Eucharist, I just thank God that I'm Catholic. Even if the music is bad, even if the preaching is bad, even if the people are grouchy, it's like that's not nearly as important. Now, because when we were Protestants, that's all we had, right? Yeah, yeah. If, if you had bad music and bad preaching and bad people, there, there's like no reason to go there. And But even if you have all those bad things in the Catholic Church, if you have Jesus in the Eucharist, that's every reason you need to be there. <laughs> Amen. That's fantastic, Keith. I can think too. Ironically, for me, I, I've had a few, uh, quote unquote, bad experiences. That in both cases, I can think of God has been like, you know what? No, no, no. I'll show you. I'll show you. Right. I can think of when I was traveling, went to mass at this really small, beautiful church in Ohio, middle of Ohio, and it was like it was name tag Sunday. So oh. I went in as a stranger. I had I was given a marker and a name tag. It was really awkward and really strange. And it, this is pre-COVID. Everyone was shaking hands and hugging, and I didn't know anybody. It was super awkward. So I'm so already I'm kind of my 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 back's up a little bit. I'm like this is kind of a weird parish. Like what's going on here? Um, and immediately I was I was humbled as the priest began his homily, which was the best homily I'd ever heard, that God just spoke like directly like wow. lightning like to my nice. soul in this homily. It was amazing. And afterwards I went, wow, like, I was kind of prejudiced going into this when, when the name tags came out. It seemed kind of hokey. And, and right, <laughs> God totally used that to show me right, that it still is a mass. God is, the Holy Spirit is still Amen. working through that, right? We have to always remember that if we can, you know, we can get, it's easy to sit back and complain and nitpick yeah. an armchair quarterback, you know, and I'm guilty of that too, you know, but, but what you said is huge. We have to remember it's still a mass. Yeah. Yeah. I had a similar experience and in, in confession, I was at a conference, this giant conference with thousand priests and us like lay parishioner or helper people uh, in ministry. And, uh, and we had this amazing night of confessions and there was like a like a hundred priests in this hallway taking hearing confessions, and it was amazing. And people were just like, wow. "It was it was Pentecostal. It was it was my roots were showing. It was fabulous." And I'm in line, like you know, you get you get sent to the next priest that opens up, and I see this one priest walk out wearing this great big, hilarious stole from like the '70s with like rainbows carved into oh, it, man. and like and de- and deer and like vines, deer. and it was. Like I think I think it was supposed to be honestly like like uh, Noah's Ark as like a as a liturgical stole for for as part of his vestments and it was really hokey and I was like Lord not that guy not that any priest but this guy and of course Keith who do I get but it's but I am sent out of hundreds of priests I'm sent down the hall to this wow. one priest and again like my prejudice is is up because here I'm seeing this thing that looks kind of like non liturgical it looks pretty hokey. I'm thinking this this priest is probably not going to be very 
you know, by the book in terms of, of the sacrament of reconciliation. But again, Keith, my best confession ever. <laughs> like this guy was incredible. And what he spoke to me in, in the confession after we had our little conversation, and I told him what was going on, was again like, like a lightning bolt directly to my soul from God to say, hey, look, like this is what you need to hear right now. And I'm going to use this guy who you had these prejudices against to tell it to you. So I love that you know, because, I, yeah, we, we oftentimes we get hung up on the wrong things, don't we? Yeah. And like here, like here's kind of an interesting thing that you, you mentioned that my, I was talking to my daughter the other day and about this kind of stuff. And she goes, oh, I don't understand why the priest has to wear those goofy robes. You know, and she's like, I don't I don't. Why can't they just dress like normal people? That just seems so so weird that they dress that way. And I said to her, you know, and she's 23, she's, and she works in a church as a worship leader, you know, in a Methodist church. And I said to her, I'm like, you know, here's the thing you got to remember. Cause, oh, cause what her point was this, isn't that like gaudy and Hey, everybody look at me, I'm wearing this big fancy, you know, you know, Jedi robe or whatever. And I said, actually the opposite is true. She's like, what do you mean? And I said, the priest wears those, you know, those vestments and stoles to disappear because it's not about him as a person. That's his role. That, 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 those vestments signify his role as a priest. And you've never once looked at a priest and thought, hmm, I wonder what kind of clothes that guy wears. But every Sunday when you go to your church, your pastor has to make a decision. What is she going to wear? when she stands up and how she going to look and all across the country, all across the world, there are people who get up as pastors and make decisions about how they're going to look. And that's, you know, what are they going to wear and this and that and whatever. And I used to get so worked up about that when I was a pastor too, because I knew I was going to be judged on what I dress like. I'm like, which one's more about, Hey, everybody look at me. Yeah. The guy that has to go out and spend all this money on a wardrobe so he can look good when he preaches his sermon or the guy who wears something that covers himself from the the bottom of his chin all the way down to yeah. his, his feet. And you don't even see him. You just see this stuff. And she was like, whoa, I never thought of it like that before. And, and that's what we got to remember, man, is that all of this stuff that has to do with our personal preferences and is that guy a good preacher? Is he crazy or what? It's all about God. It's not about the people. It's not about the individual. It's about God. And all of these things can point us to it. And I think sometimes those things are there and it helps us to be more focused on God because we can't get enamored in all of the cultural stuff. We have to focus on God. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's a great story and a great example. I love that. Okay, your first year in the church, I think you had some of the best advice that, that you got that you then wrote in your book that you gave to us on what to do in your first year as a Catholic. And, and it was kind of sit back and be quiet, right? It was the advice that you were given. <laughs> Can you unpack that a bit? Well, yeah. I mean, specifically what that had to deal with was, and, and I think a lot of people in ministry that convert into the Catholic Church all have this weird question of what am I supposed to do now? Because when you're, a, when you're in Protestant ministry and you become Catholic, you know that you're not going to be a priest. So you know you're not going to be like upfront giving sermons. You know you're not going to – I mean, and you can't just show up and be like, hey, can I be a deacon? You know, I mean, there's a lot of things that go into that. So there's this weird 
concept of, well, what am I going to do? It feels weird just to show up and, and sit in the church. And yet, you know, there are lay people that become, you know, evangelists, preachers, whatever in the Catholic church, like in a lay level, not, I'm not talking about in a, in a official authoritative way. So there's all this weird idea of what are you going to do? And I remember a lot of people would say to me, Oh, you're going to be some guy in the church. You're going to do all this stuff or whatever, this and that. And I didn't want any of that. I was like, well, I don't, I don't feel equipped to do that. I don't feel like I know enough to do that. I, you know, and my priest said to me, cause I didn't do RCIA. He, he met with me personally weekly for about, I don't know, I think it was four or five months. And that was, that was really, really helpful to me because he said to me, he's like, you don't, you, he goes, RCIA is not for you. He's like, you already know all of the theological things that you're going to learn about in RCIA. He's like, we've got deeper things to deal with, with you. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> so he gave me some books to read. I mean, we did all the same, probably some of the same material, but he said to me when I, when I came into the church, I was like, okay, so, you know, what do I do now? And he said, tell you what, Keith, he said, you need a year just to be Catholic. I'm not going to ask you to do anything in the parish. I'm not going to, you know, I don't want you to like give talks and do all this stuff. He's like, just be Catholic and rest. <clears throat> and, and for me, that was so freeing, Keith, because I just, I had been on this journey for so long and I needed to rest. I didn't, I didn't need to be thinking about how do I, you know, instruct others or relate anything to anybody. I just needed to be able to go to church and be ministered to. And he just allowed that to me. You know, he allowed that. I did, I did give a talk in one of my old friends' parishes um, a few months later, but that was sort of a one-off deal. So for me, that was huge. And, and it's, it's interesting because I get contacted by people all the time who are Protestants that are about to become Catholic. And they're all like, all right, I'm starting a podcast. I'm starting a YouTube channel. How do I get this? How do I do that? You know, and it's almost like, whoa, 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 whoa you know, slow down. And I'm not, I'm, I usually don't like tell people what they should or shouldn't do, <laughs> but it just, it just, sometimes I'd say to guys, I'm like, look, just, just take a breath. Just be, you need to experience life as a Catholic before you can start telling everybody about it. You know, and that doesn't mean that you can't share your story with people in your family. You're going to, whether you want to or not. But if we all jump in thinking instantly, we have to have some kind of ministry or some kind of public thing. I, I just, I don't know. I, I, to me, that's not what I did. And, and I am very, very thankful for that yeah. because I needed that year to just rest and experience it because there were so many things about being Catholic. I was not up to speed on, you know, it's one thing to know what the catechism teaches. It's a completely different thing to enter into life as a Catholic. And that's what really that whole book was about the first year in the church. What should you do? What do you need to know? What do you need to do? What do you need to not do? Because RCIA doesn't prepare you for that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's fantastic advice. I, I wish I had had that advice when I was becoming Catholic. I told you the story before. I was blogging about my journey before I even became Catholic about Catholic stuff. And so I really came into the church with with both guns blazing. And I regret some of those things that I did and said because I came off very strong, strongly, surprisingly. And the cordial Catholic became a moniker to grow into because I was like, I got to tone things down. I got to try and aspire to something better than this because... I really, I, I, 
was so excited about becoming Catholic that I just jumped in and began just writing, blogging about that. And, and really looking back, I didn't have a clue what I was talking about in some cases. Like you say, you, you need that time to begin to live that life out a little bit before you start sharing too much. And I mean, that leads me into my next thought, which is your family, like your, your yeah. friends, because you're bound to have those conversations. I had some terrible ones with some people. I, ga- I, <laughs> right. I, I, <laughs> I gave them books that were just way above the level of things they were thinking. Cause you, cause you think, and I'll let you, I'll let you run with this in a second. You think that everybody is on your journey with you. Like you kind yeah. of forget, right. That they haven't read these like 25 books. I have on my shelf here about the Catholic church that I just read in the last like month, you know, becoming Catholic because I'm so far up, but it, your friends haven't read all those books. So, so you, so you enter into a conversation with, with them at a point where you're like a thousand steps ahead of them thinking that they're going to catch up somehow or, or, or tracking with you. I, I had a pastor who used to always say, you tracking with me, you tracking with me. Right. Oh yeah. There's a really no. popular guy that does that. <laughs> no. He says, are you tracking with that? Yeah, yeah. Nobody else copy no, him. We're not. <laughs> we're not. You know, your your friends and family aren't tracking with you on this journey necessarily. What do you what do you make of like what do you in your first year as a Catholic, are you coming out and just talking to every single person you see on the street about becoming Catholic? Like what, what was well, your experience? Everybody's different. So let me just say that. And and I, and that goes for everything I said earlier too about, you know, I mean, maybe there is somebody who's supposed to have some big thing that they do five seconds after they become Catholic. I don't know. I'm just saying for me, that wasn't that, that, that year saved me a lot of headaches. Okay. And a lot of apologies I would have to make because I had to make some anyway. And I can only imagine that if, if I would have just come in guns blazing the first year, um, because I did have a have, have to have a lot of conversations. Cause remember I was a pastor. Like I, when I left my church, <clears throat> I had, Lots of people that would contact me and go, what in the frig are you doing, man? Are you crazy? What? So I, so by default, I had to have a lot of those conversations and, you know, I, I tried to walk through that as graciously as I could, but I also, I mean, depending on how I was approached, sometimes I got pretty defensive Keith, because sometimes people were pretty offensive. You know, it's one thing if someone comes to you and says, Hey, tell me what happened. Okay. Tell me, tell me what led you to this. That that's, that's a great way to have a conversation. It's another thing when someone sends you a message and says, I'm so disappointed that you have, you know, left Christianity to join a cult. I mean, (laughs) that's, that's a little bit different or, or stuff like that or whatever. You know, I, I I was in one of my, um, one of my, when I was working for uh, this, this photography company I was working for, I was meeting with a photographer and he knew I'd become Catholic and we're not even like super good friends, but I, I, I mean, I know the guy and he heard I became Catholic. So we were having lunch and I sat down. The first thing he said to me was, well, I heard you just joined the worst church ever created in the world. <laughs> oh no. It's kind of like, well, how are you doing? You know, I mean, that was, that was, that was how the conversation began. Oh, oh boy. And I was like, wow. Okay. So you're going to have those conversations, whether you want to or not. The question is, how do you deal with them? You know, and and the way I tried to to be guided was, you know, I listened to a lot of other converts talk about mistakes they made and tried not to create those same mistakes. Because I think one of the best things you can do in life, whether, you know, about this or anything else, is if you can find someone else who's already done the thing that you're doing now and ask them or find out from them what went wrong, 
then you've, you've, you know, you've, you've saved yourself some, some, some heartache. And, you know, I remember and it was Scott Hahn, actually, I remember reading in one of his books or hearing one of his talks. He said, Oh yeah, I made a lot of mistakes in the first couple of years. I wish I wouldn't have been so aggressive. I wish I wouldn't have been so insistent on always forcing this into every conversation on everybody. So I just, I said, look, here's the deal. When people come to me and ask me questions, that's an open invitation. So we're going to talk about it, but I'm always going to be playing defense on this. And I'm always going to be explaining things from the standpoint of, well, what about this? What about that? Not, well, Hey, did you know, did you know, did you know, here's this book, here's this thing, you know? And to me, that's one of the cardinal sins to avoid is walking around with a box full of giant books and just giving them to people randomly. I call it drive-by evangelism. You, know, you just drive by someone, throw a book at them or send them an article. And you're like, ah, here you go. You know, someone says, oh, well, hey, I don't understand the whole thing with purgatory. Oh, well, here's this five volume set, you know, figure that out. Get back to me. They're not going to do that. What people want to know is this ultimately. Did, did your decision to become Catholic how, was that motivated by a desire for you to go deeper with Jesus Christ and into truth? Or was there something else going on? And if you can show people, especially the Protestants in your life that love Jesus, that are concerned that maybe you don't now because you're Catholic, which I know seems weird, but it's true. If you can show them that your journey into the Catholic faith was the result of a desire to go deeper with Christ. And second thing, this is important. And is the result of digging deeper into the scriptures that is going to set the set the the stage for some really amazing conversations and hopefully ease some people's fears because i think they're afraid remember they've got all their misconceptions that you used to have about the catholic church that you worked through over a period of time they're still living there yeah, so you got to yeah. remember that's where they are you got to start back there and walk them slowly through what led you to where you are but you have to do so with grace and humility and confidence though too you can't be like well i don't know i hope this is right i think it is but no you have to be like no here's why i did what i did and let the holy spirit guide you in those things and you'll have some good days and some bad days i mean it's not all going to be awesome but you'll be shocked at what god can do through a catholic who loves jesus and is devoted to their faith who knows what they're talking about and made that conversion from Protestant Catholicism, that that in and of itself is going to open a lot of doors. Yeah, that's, that's great wisdom. It is, Keith. And I especially think, I mean, the idea that you aren't on the offensive with these things. I mean, we uh, the tendency is, right, even when I became Christian at the age of 15 or so, evangelical, I, I was saved and I went out and bought a giant Bible and bought all these Christian t-shirts and wore them around high school and, oh, yeah. and tried to stir up these conversations with the atheists in the hallway, right, in the science club and stuff. And uh, th that same immaturity kind of re rears its head again when you go move from Protestant to Catholic. Like, you want to defend your position. You want to come out and tell all your friends, oh, I did this because this guy's like, look at this and this and this. But but you're right. I mean, you you welcome those opportunities, I think. You you offer some ideas, right? I think that the most fruitful conversations that I've had with people who are who are friends and, and associates and people who don't know, even know that well were when I kind of brought up these ideas. Like, they brought it to me. And I said, yeah. well, hey, what, what about this? Like, you know, this is, right? I always wondered about this in the Bible, and when I became, you know, looking into the Catholic Church, they kind of answered that question for me over here, right? It's not that offensive, like, you're wrong here and here and here. 
it's it's raising questions that get the other person thinking and and being yes. right and being willing to to realize that I am not the one to convince them of those things like I am like the holy spirit like god is in charge of those situations right and we can be a vessel but we're not meant to be the person that pushes them across the finish line that's that's god's job in a sense well, right you know, okay so the chapter that i wrote about this in my book is called how to not have a holy war yeah. because you know you mentioned we always want to be fighting we want to no your job <clears throat> to defend the catholic faith is done a whole lot better by a person who has decided to do this from a standpoint of love than the standpoint of, I know stuff you don't know. So a couple of practical things that I want to say while, while I'm thinking of it, you know, and this is, this is outlined in the book is personal conversations are greater than email conversations or tech. Don't try to do this over text messages or even (laughs) DMS on social media. Don't do that. If somebody contacts you or, or wants to argue with you about the faith, try to have a, a face-to-face conversation with them. <clears throat> and at the very least, a phone call. Because you need to be able to hear the tone of a voice. You need to be able to communicate those things. And, you know, just doing things digitally is not, not a good move. The other thing I would say is avoid the temptation to give unsolicited materials to people. Because... You know, that, that's just, I hate that personally. When I'm, when I'm in a conversation with someone and we're having a conversation about a point and their response to something I say is an article, I'm like, I'm not going to read it. <laughs> uh, look, you and I are having a conversation. I'm not, you know, this isn't like give me homework to go read so we can talk. <laughs> like, like, what am I supposed to in that moment stop and read that so we can, <laughs> yeah. no, let's talk. Let's talk. And, but I also love what you said. And I think this is important too. When you're having these conversations, you as the Catholic need to ask a lot of questions. Like, let me give you a couple of examples. Okay. So, for example, someone says something like, oh, well, you Catholics, you guys, you have so many man-made traditions. You have so many man-made. And didn't Jesus say, this just happened to me today, by the way, Keith. Someone was saying to me, you Catholics and your man-made traditions, you know, Jesus said that you have made null the word of God by your man-made traditions and man-made traditions. And I, I, I just, I didn't freak out i just said let me ask you a question is the canon of scripture a man-made tradition or was that directly handed down by god in the bible <laughs> that's a question yeah. right is that a, is that a man-made tradition you know i haven't heard back from this person yet it was someone in my youtube comments that was going off ask those questions because if you can get people like you made the statement a minute ago, it's not your job to, to convince them. Let them figure that out. Yeah. Let, like ask that question, have them go home. Oh, wait a minute. I never thought about that before. I need to dig into that because that's what happened to me. You know, it's like when I would talk about, well, the Bible, this, the Bible, that, you know, my, my buddy Devin asked me, so where do you think the Bible came from? Well, what do you, what kind of a dumb question? You know, <laughs> just like, just like when someone asked Scott Hahn that question in his class, they said, can you, can you show me where Sola Scriptura is found in the Bible? Well, that's a dumb question. Well, give me a dumb answer. You know, <laughs> ask a lot of those questions that can help people <clears throat> to put themselves in the frame of mind where they begin to question their assumptions about the Christian faith and about, Catholic, about the Catholic faith. What do you think was going on in Matthew 16 when Jesus said to Peter, you are Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church. What do you think that meant? And if they go, well, that's about Peter's faith. Here's another follow-up question. 
why why do you think that for the for you know the first 1500 years of christianity people you know people understood that to mean it was peter why do you think so many people thought that ask questions yeah that's a whole lot more and i don't mean to do it in like a snarky way either just like be humble and ask a lot of questions you know oh you catholics you you worship mary you know what what do you think it means when mary said all generations shall call me blessed. What do you think that means? I don't know. To me, I feel like that's a more invitational way to have conversations with people than just bowling them over with all these quotes and facts. Yeah. And I think it is because we asked those questions becoming Catholic, right? I mean, for me, for me, that's like, it's, it's the natural way of, of having that conversation because that's how those are the questions that I asked that led me to become Catholic. So, so sharing those those questions with somebody else that that's just opening that door versus saying, Hey, I learned all this. I know all this now. Here's, I'm just going to spew it at you and you're just going to listen. Right. And I think that's yeah. where, that's where, that's where journeys like yours, like, like mine, I think come in because too, we become Catholic and then expect everybody else around us to, to, to follow us in, to see the light that we saw, to yeah. answer those questions that we ask in the way we answered them and to become Catholic en masse, right? And that often, that doesn't happen. But I think it was Matt Swaim, our mutual friend who, who mentioned this to me once, like, well, think about how long our journeys took, right? Exactly. How long did your journey take to become Catholic, right? Between you asking those questions and finally making the commitment to become Catholic, we can't when it looks like none of our friends or family are following us into the church or these people that we are talking to in conversations, well, maybe they're on a journey that we can't see because how outward were our journeys sometimes that we went on, right? I mean, that, that, that to me is, is the importance of, of sharing our stories, right? Because so people can hear what it takes to, to become Catholic and that it might take a long, long time to make that commitment. It, it when, might. Right. And you, you remember, you know, and you don't hear this said in the Catholic church a whole lot, but Back in the Protestant church days, you would hear people say things like this in sermons. You might be the only Jesus that that person in your school will ever know, you know? And I, I think, okay, cool. We could say that from a Catholic perspective. You might be the only, I don't know, whatever, Catholic guy that these people would ever know. So the way I try to figure this out is to be the person that shatters the misconceptions of what a real, what a normal yeah. Catholic looks like. And I had a, I was doing a podcast once with a Protestant pastor and um, he was, we were talking about salvation. We were talking about issues like that. And, and I explained basically the Catholic view of salvation. And he said, well, you're not a normal Catholic. And I thought to myself, well, yeah, I'm basically just reading the catechism and explaining what, what salvation is all about from a Catholic perspective. I'm not creating something out of thin air and I'm not veering off what the church says, but you see what happened was he has this perception in his mind that Catholics don't understand the gospel that for a Catholics, it's all just about doing the right ritual and doing the good things and earning your way to heaven. And when I was explaining to him what the catechism says about grace and about how these sacraments are acts that God does to us rather than things that we do for God. I'm like, you want to really talk about a belief that our salvation is the work of God. That's what the sacraments teach us, you know? And 
his thing was, well, you're not a, you don't sound like a normal Catholic. (laughs) And I was like, oh, part of me was like, well, praise God. But the other part of me is like, that's a problem. So, because we need to be like, I think Catholics, we, we need to be the ones that are rock solid in our doctrine and in our scripture and in our lives, being people who are humble and holy and righteous. And yet also, um, just so completely in love with Jesus. So to me, like if you're all worked up about people in your life, not becoming Catholic, take all of that energy and time that you spend on that and start spending on start working on your own holiness, your own devotion to the Lord. And even this, your joy in what you're experiencing. And that is going to draw way more people to your Catholic faith than all of the books that you send them and all of the videos that you make them watch because people are drawn to they're drawn to light. And when the light of Christ is, is beaming out of your life, when you're reflecting that light, it should make you joyful and it should make you more fired up to practice your faith. That's going to, that in and of itself is going to cause people to go, what is up with that? I've never met someone like that. And that's what happened to me because I saw that in my friend, Devin, I saw a guy who loved his faith and loved the Lord and had, and could talk about it and explain it. And he was just beaming with love and light. And I'm like, you don't look like a normal Catholic. (laughs) (laughs) What I've learned is that that's how we're all supposed to be. Aren't we? You know, so let's, let's work on that. That's great. I, I think the ironic thing for me too, is that what ended up happening in a lot of my cases is the friends or the, or the associates, the colleagues, I didn't even think were on the radar were the ones who were interested it was like not not the friends yeah. I was praying for every day in my rosary that, that I was like, oh, I wish that so and so would become Catholic or ask me a question about it that I could talk to. It was these people who are who I had no idea were, were even thinking about or or listening to my podcast or or following my journey, who were like, Hey, Keith, you became Catholic. Oh, can we chat about that? I was like, What? You want to talk about like it was right? So it's not always who we expect God to be leading into our circle of, of You associates. never know it's, who's it's watching. I- I've had that happen twice. I've yeah. had two different people, for, former parishioners of churches I was pastoring yeah. that I, I had never had a conversation about this with them. They'd heard about it. They'd watched something I had said in a video, read my book, and now they've become Catholic. <laughs> and I'm like, seriously, I didn't even know you were, I wasn't even thinking about that person. I didn't even know you were, you were considering that. And then another guy who we did have a lot of conversations with that ended up becoming Catholic too. But you're right, man. You, you don't know how God can use you. That's why you have to always be led by the spirit yeah, and filled with joy for your, I mean, God brought you into the Catholic faith. That's part of his promise to give you life and give you life abundantly. So you got to live like that. Absolutely. Okay. I have one more question for you. I don't want to keep you forever because I know you have, oh, you're good, man. I'm sure you do. Um, or maybe not. I don't know, Keith, what kind of life you have outside <laughs> of this YouTube universe. Listen, I, Mary is the enormous stumbling block for every single evangelical. I mean, I get tired of you yeah. two hearing about this. Cause, and it was for me. I'm, it was for you too. I'm sure it's a, this crazy thing that we have such a hard time getting over. And we can go on forever about why that is. I think we actually chatted ages ago about this. We had, I think Daria Little was, was on with you. Oh, yeah, that's program. right. That was like 100 episodes ago, I think. But that was a great conversation uh, about about Mary as the stumbling block and how we encounter her as, as evangelical converts. But 
one of the experiences for me that was formative, and I'm talking now to you as a guy who leads the rosary every single day on YouTube, mm-hmm. I have a huge following there. One of the formative experiences for me was uh, coming to this Catholic men's group, and I was still an evangelical. I hadn't converted yet, but I was going there with the intention of becoming Catholic. And the one night I went in into this old downtown parish, this huge church from the 1800s, beautiful church. And I encountered this row of like 40 guys on their knees praying the rosary. And it was like police officers, doctors, criminal lawyers, plumbers, mechanics, you know, professors, students, people from all ages and stages of life, all kinds of career paths, praying the rosary. And up to that point, I was, I was skeptical of, of Mary and skeptical of the rosary as this repeated vain prayer kind of thing that we, we, we as Pentecostals would really be opposed to. But then seeing these, these guys and the humility of these guys from all walks of life praying the rosary, like something changed for me in that experience uh, of seeing it being prayed and, and, and listening to the prayers. And man, oh man, it was incredible. But Mary is that stumbling block, right? And and now, yeah. I mean, I mentioned you're a guy who now prays the rosary every single day with, with hundreds and thousands of people on YouTube, right? So what do we do? What do we do to un- un- unlock that? What Mary has to offer us as Catholic Commerce in that first year? Because I know, maybe this was the case for you too. Um, I should reread the chapter in the book to find out because I forget what. <laughs> Oh, yeah, was for you. Called the, the chapter in the book is called the Mary stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah, like for me though, I became Catholic and then figured I will sort Mary out a bit later. Mm-hmm. Right, I didn't have a handle on that. I accepted the claims of the church that it was the church Christ founded. I said, okay, I'll figure out what I believe about Mary later. I probably won't be very Marian. I don't think I'll love Mary a lot, but I don't have to as a Catholic. So whatever, I joined. Of course, that completely changed. What do you what do you do or what advice do you have for those people who are now they've become Catholic but are still kind of on the fence about our blessed mother like what what do you what do you say to those people I, I say it like this I say it it's kind of you know the Mary and this is the analogy I use in the book the Mary stuff in the Catholic Church is like learning to drink fine expensive wine okay? The first time I ever really drank fine, expensive wine, I was at a restaurant with this guy who was offering me a job. I didn't know it at the time. I probably wouldn't have drank the wine if I knew it was a job interview. <laughs> and I mean, the, the wine that I, that I was used to drinking, which wasn't much, was probably less than $7 a bottle. Okay. So nothing, nothing crazy. Well, he orders this bottle of wine and they do the whole big production, you know, with the swirling and everything. And he's looking at all this kind of stuff. It's probably like a hundred dollar bottle of wine. And I took a I took a drink of that and it like blew me away. It was so good. But within about, I don't know, 15 minutes, my head was spinning, man. <laughs> it was way stronger than anything I'd ever drank before because it was so good. I didn't realize that I had, you know, had a little little too much or whatever. <laughs> and you might say, Keith, how does this have anything to do with the blessed month? Well, I think sometimes our version of what of who Mary is and her role in the faith, it's kind of like cheap wine. Okay. When we're Protestants, then you come into the Catholic faith and you step into this entire universe of Marian devotion, St. Louis de Montfort, you know, all the saints, all of this stuff, all the rosary, all these beautiful things. And if you don't know what you're doing, <clears throat> it'll make your head spin. You got to sip it. You got to step into it slowly. Okay. 
I, and like you, you made a good point. You say, you know, when you become Catholic, you accept what the church teaches about Mary. So you accept the fact that she was immaculately conceived. She was assumed bodily, bodily into heaven. So the, those, those, those doctrines about Mary, you don't, those aren't optional for Catholics. But I remember feeling the same way you did, Keith, where I was like, I'm not praying the rosary. I'm not doing that. I'm going to be the most Protestant Catholic the world's ever seen <laughs> because I don't want to get into all that. I'm not going to be statues. I'm not going to do any of that stuff. Well, I, I tell people if that's where you are, that's okay. You know, I don't think that Mary demands all of that day one. Like you can't go from being a person who's like a little bit freaked out by all this stuff or a lot bit freaked out by all this stuff to now you got miraculous medals on, you're wearing a scapular, you're praying the rosary every day, you're going to Fatima, you you know, all this kind of stuff like that. Just, just take it slow, man. Take it slow. But I would say this, be open, be open. Pay attention to what the church says about her. Read what the catechism says about her. Begin to step into that world and go slowly and just ask her to help you. And watch what happens when you get into those opportunities. Go slowly, but take them and see what happens. You know, I remember for me when I first started praying the rosary daily, not with anybody on YouTube, just by myself. I thought it was weird, man. I'm like, I've been around a lot of Catholics that do this. I don't know if I can do it. It just seems too much, too fast, too weird, you know? But I decided, I, I had I had come to this place, Keith, where I saw all these Catholics that were so in love with the Virgin Mary and so on fire for it. I didn't want to miss out, man. You know, I didn't become Catholic just to do some of it. I became Catholic because I believed it was the fullness of the faith. So why wouldn't I want the fullness of the fullness of the faith, right? <laughs> So I thought, well, if I have hangups, <clears throat> then I need to get over those hangups. So the goal shifted from how can I do the least amount that I need to do of this Catholic stuff and still be Catholic to how can I get over my own hangups? And for me, it just became like this. I just had to do it. Starts, I started praying the rosary by myself. I was intimidated to pray with anybody else because I knew I'd mess it up. So I downloaded an app, started praying it when no one was around in the car, whatever, while I was, you know, on a treadmill or something like that, or what, you know, whatever, wherever I could just kind of have some time alone. And then eventually it became more. And then eventually I listened to a talk about Marian consecration, thought there's no way I'm never doing that. That's over the line. And then I remember hearing someone say that when they did their Marian consecration, it was like the volume got turned up on their faith. And I thought, I want that. So I decided to do it. And my wife and I went through it together. And I'm telling you what, Keith, when I did that, that was the most pivotal moment in my faith. I can point to it. And it was just like, I thought that all the lights went on when I became Catholic. When I, when I did the, the consecration to the Blessed Mother, it was like the lights went on, the sound went on, someone opened up the window. I mean, it, it was like, Wow. And it's been in this incredible journey ever since. So what I would tell people is don't, don't let the Mary stuff stop you from becoming Catholic. Don't be intimidated. Don't be afraid. Don't think you have to do all of it at once. It's like fine wine. You've been drinking the cheap stuff your whole life. Now you're, now you're going to get served the best wine. You know, he saved the best for last. And see how that connects with, with John chapter two, right? But for me, it's a very real analogy because the more I have begun to sip of that wine, the more I've begun to appreciate it and feel like I could never go back. 
to the way it was before. Yeah, yeah. And, and it sounds kind of crazy maybe to evangelical listeners, to their ears, that you can, I mean, this is a whole other issue of, of the saints and our relationship with their saints in heaven and and in general. It sounds crazy maybe to those ears that we can have a relationship with somebody who who is who is not here in front of us, right? But it does. I think we're, I think we and, and thousands of other converts are a testament to the fact that you can go from evangelical to somebody who, who speaks this way of, of the Virgin Mary. I mean, yeah. it's real. This stuff is, I mean, we, we experience this stuff. It's crazy. It's amazing. And there's real power in this. And yeah, I love how you put that. Like, why wouldn't you want to unlock the fullness of the faith, right? Once you join the Catholic Church. The fullness Church. of the fullness, yeah, baby. Yeah, that's, yeah, the, yeah. that's and and I feel like I've just don't call I've me, just don't call me baby. The surface of that. I mean, I've got what did you say? Don't call me baby. Don't call me baby. Okay, okay, um, okay. Uh, so I, I was going to say something else, but I'm not going to. Um, and I still feel like okay, I am only scratching the surface yeah. of the fullness of the fullness because one of the things I'm realizing right now in my life, doing what I do, is I know so little about the saints. Every day, it seems like someone else tells me about a different saint or something like that, a different devotion. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know about that one. Like there, you can spend your whole life learning about the saints and and all of that. There's so many things that I am excited to grow into and learn and bring into my, my practice of my faith. That's just what's so great about the Catholic faith is that it's like this treasure chest that never ends. And it's it's an awesome adventure. That's why I get so frustrated when people are like, oh, Catholic faith is boring. It's lifeless. It's dull. Well, you're not doing it right yeah. if that's the way that you're experiencing it because it's awesome, man. I mean, it's the coolest thing ever. <laughs> Absolutely. Amen. Keith Nestor, it is always a pleasure to talk to you. This is a lot of fun. I think everyone's I love it, man. I'm always happy to talk to you. Where can people go to find out more about you if they don't know where to go, which I don't believe they, they wouldn't know. They've got to know exactly where to go. But is, if sure there's, there's one person out there that doesn't know, where do you want to go? There's tons that don't know. <laughs> it's funny. Um, you know, some people will say, oh, man, how'd you get such a big YouTube channel so fast? And it's like, my YouTube channel isn't that big. I mean, there's like an eighth grader down the street that flips <laughs> bottles of water that's got like a million views. And I'm like, what are we doing? You know, but <laughs> YouTube is really like where I hang out every day. So if you just type in Keith Nestor on YouTube. So I did start a ministry called down to earth and it's a, it's, it's based on John chapter six, verse 38, where he says, I have come down to earth to do the will of him who sent me, you know, the, my father's will. And it's incarnational, right? But it's also people who say, Oh, Keith, you, the way you talk, it's so down to earth. So down to earth ministry.org down. It's the number two earth ministry. Cause like down to earth is some kind of herbal supplement or something like that. But so down to earth ministry.org. Um, is where you can find my my um, my website, rosarycrew.org. Also, <clears throat> we pray the rosary every single day on my YouTube channel at 5 p.m. Central in the United States. I have no idea what time that is in like, you know, Western Uganda or whatever. It's funny. People will be on, on YouTube and they'll be like, hey, what time do you pray this in, you know, Germany? I'm like, I have no idea. You live in Germany. I live in America. I live in Iowa. <clears throat> 5 Central, Iowa. Google it. Jump on live, join us. We're on Facebook at, at Rosary Crew with Keith Nestor, on Instagram, Keith Nestor Catholic, all that kind of stuff. But um, man, I just love to connect with people. The Rosary Crew has been going for over a year now. We started March 18th, 2020. And it's just been an amazing 
an amazing journey. It's an incredible prayer group. And I invite anyone to come. I do a, also do a weekly live stream called unpacking the mass where I walk through the week's readings for the, the mass coming up so that you can hear some reflections and some meditations on the, on the readings before you go to mass. So that way your ears are ready to hear and your heart's open. I do that usually on uh, Thursday or Friday. <clears throat> and then um, I do a podcast called Catholic Feedback and episodes, which you've been on that a couple of times. Episodes drop usually on Tuesdays. So there's there's plenty of places to find me if, you, if you're looking for me. <laughs> it's all good stuff. I mean, it is. It, and I, I think back now to like your journey, right? And you were kind of thinking, well, where are we going to fit in in this Catholic church? And people were asking you and, and telling you, hey, you'll be great. You'll be fantastic. And and. I love that to see how, despite d- doubts, maybe and not really sure what it's going to be like, and and I mean, you spent all this time not becoming Catholic because you weren't sure what was going to happen when you became Catholic, and how you can. <laughs> right? I mean, if God provides, God provides, and I feel oh. like I feel like you've become such an asset to us in the Catholic Church, Keith. Really, oh, and I mean that. I'm not just saying that because you paid me money. Thank you, by the way. For the for the e-transfer. Enjoy the free book. Yeah. By the way, you can get my book on Amazon.com. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, we should mention the book. Yes, let's do that. But you really, I mean, you, you have a sort of fantastic ministry, and you, you haven't stopped being the, the preacher that you were, Keith, which I, I love because you can, you're, you're talking about these Catholic things. You're unpacking the Mass for us every week. You you, you bring the rosary alive with, with the reflections on the prayers. I mean, it's awesome stuff. So people need to check these things out. And you, your man. book, your book, it's on Amazon. Where else should they get it? Is that where they should go to get it? I, I know up here in Canada, I bought too many copies and they were out of stock for a while. I, yeah. I bought you out of stock at one point. They're back <laughs> now in Canada. They're back in stock. Yeah. So yeah, you can go to amazon.com. The book's called The Convert's Guide to Roman Catholicism, Your First Year in the Church. Um, it's available on my website or you can buy it on Amazon. Uh, please leave a review. If you do buy that, it helps. And uh, I hope that it's helpful to you. I, I love hearing stories from people who've got the book. And I've heard from cradle Catholics, actually, who are like, this was my yeah. favorite Catholic book ever. And I'm like, really? And they're like, yeah, I've never read anything like it before. And that's, to me, that's like really what I was going for was I wanted to do something different. I, I resisted writing a book for a long time because I thought there's already so many books about converts, journeys, and all that kind of stuff. And my that's, that's not really what the book is. It's not about my journey, so to speak. It's about your journey and it's about what do you need to do in your first year? And that's kind of, I share stories about my, my journey where applicable, but ultimately this book is written to help people who are coming into the church to have a year where they just thrive and, and set them up for success. Because I, I had a Bishop tell me one time that it's like 50% of converts leave the church within the first five years. I thought people who have gone through all of this to convert, they're going to leave. No way. And I just really felt led to try to help people not find themselves in that situation where they would want to leave. And I think that a lot of the reasons why people leave is because they get dropped off at the door and they don't, they don't, they're not set up for that. And it becomes difficult. It's hard to become a Catholic when you're not growing up and you step into a different universe and you don't know how to fit in. You don't know what's going on and it can be challenging. So to me, that's what, that's, that's what I hope the book does for people. And for cradle Catholics, it's it's helped people to see their church through the eyes of a convert and to be more sympathetic and helpful to people that are coming in. Because sometimes it's like, oh, a new convert. Hey, welcome. Bye. You know, or hey, I'll meet you next week at the, you know, second league of the Immaculate Virgin, whatever, Milasha or, Mil, you know, 
whatever it's going to be, militia of the maculate heart thing. And you're like, what is that? <laughs> oh, you don't know? Bring your scapular and your sword. You know, <laughs> like, I don't know what any of that is. The book is to help people that are kind of in that situation. Yeah. And it'll explain that in detail, won't it? <laughs> whatever that is that I just said. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, Keith. Thank you for being here. Honestly, hey, man, for having so me. I love fun. your podcast. I listen to it all the time. And, and uh, especially when I'm on the road, the, the cordial Catholic is my, is my road trip binge podcast. And <laughs> sometimes I, I'll drive all across the country and I'll just be like, Oh man, I'm almost there. Dang it. Oh. I'm still listening. Thanks man. It, mean, stuff, my friend. it means a lot. Look, God bless you and the fantastic ministry you have. And thanks. Thanks for hanging out. It was fun. Anytime, my friend. Anytime, my friend. You take care. Hey, you first. Well, I will give to you right away the email address for feedback on this show. Send myself some trouble. It's cordialcatholic at gmail.com. If you want to send some feedback on my conversation with Keith Nestor, we get into trouble, I think, from time to time. So I'd love to hear how, what we've done wrong wrong this time and how we have, uh, have, have angered the beast or what we did that you liked. I'd love to hear that too. I, I am joking a little bit here. Cordialcatholic at gmail.com. Thecordialcatholic.com is our website for show notes, for blog articles. I write all that kind of stuff and all goes there. Uh, YouTube.com slash Cordialcatholic to watch this show and other interviews as well and little videos I record too from time to time. We are on Instagram and Twitter at Cordial Catholic, on the Facebook at the, as The Cordial Catholic. And uh, please do follow us on those different platforms. And I'd love to hear from you guys as you do follow the show. I'd love your feedback, love your messages. And I get back to all those as soon as I can. Please do leave a rating or review on this show on Apple Podcasts, or please follow us on Spotify or, or Stitcher or Apple Podcasts, wherever you find us. If you follow the show, it does help to push the podcast out to new people and help us go up the charts and grow the show as well, and that's fantastic. Patreon.com slash to support this show on a monthly basis. $5 or more uh, sponsors get entered into draws for free books every single month and access to episodes before everybody else gets them. Check that out, please, guys. And thank you for your support. Thanks for listening, guys. I'm praying for you. Please pray for me, and I'll talk to you again next week. God bless. Thanks for listening. This show is brought to you in a special way by our co-producer patrons over at patreon.com slash cordialcathy. A special thanks to Ellie and Tom, Kelvin and Susan, Stephen, Suzanne and Victor, Phil, Noah, Nicole, Michelle, Jordan, John, James, Gina, and Aram for your special support at the co-producer tier and making this thing possible. You guys are fantastic. God bless and thanks for your support.